The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today's guest is Jason Krantz. He is actually an entrepreneur. He started his own company called Strategy Titan and has a wealth of information about data analytics and insights in the B2B space. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, congratulations on taking the leap to entrepreneurship. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's very exciting and also very nerve-wracking, but it's, uh, it's a great situation to be in. You know, you have such an amazing background in terms of your research and, and analytics skill and kind of your journey. Can you just share a little bit about your experience thus far? Yeah, thus far in my career, uh, early in my career, um, I started out really with a financial focus of the, of the corporate world. I played in a number of different positions in supply chain, logistics, sales, IT, and now in marketing and now going out to do my own thing. But the one common denominator through all that was really data. And I found out at an early age, but as you know, and many of your listeners know, um, data is just the starting point. It's really, what do you do with that? And that's really where throughout my career, um, I've evolved and, and built those skills both with myself and now with a number of different teams. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. It continues to amaze me, just the raw power of, of data analytics and the ability to, to, to generate insights that ultimately helps inform strategy and in the end, drive financial results. That makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of people who are listening would say, oh, yeah, absolutely. But there's, there's some fundamental things that one has to do to be able to deliver on that value proposition, I would think. And, mm-hmm. and, and can you call out some of those for our listeners? Like, what do you think, to be able to do what you just said, what, what mm-hmm. kind of skills does somebody need to have? I would say first and foremost, the biggest thing that people need to have as a business central in, in just I'm posting on LinkedIn and coaching my team is the idea that you can have the best technical skills in the world, but if you do not have the appropriate business lens to really contextualize and, and put kind of those guardrails around what you're doing, uh, it can become very challenging to, to not only understand what the value proposition is for what you're doing, uh, but to provide that value. And so um, the big thing with the business side of it, the business lens is by understanding the business strategy, you can go into an initiative being crystal clear on exactly how what you're working on is going to help a specific segment of the business perform better. Just as an example, I did a post on this earlier in the week where the analogy was is, you know, analytics by itself cannot deliver a price increase as an example. But what if your analytics team is going through and doing exploratory analysis and understands the challenges of a channel or of a region or of uh, the sales incentive plans that are associated with a specific region and is looking at price increase opportunities independent of any initiative that's being driven, maybe by the sales leadership team or the general manager, 
And let's just say that you identify $2 million in price increase opportunity that really nobody else was aware of. And not only that, you can quantify how you can logically increase these prices, maybe just make a number of 10%, but you won't put any business at risk. Well, now essentially what you've done is you've found a gold mine. You've found tangible financial benefit that, yeah, you've brought to the business and you said, hey, we discovered this. And now it's that process of understanding in, in the, the business lens to present that case to the business in a manner in which they can understand it, but also see the opportunity. Using that one example as a, of a price increase, that's my personal favorite because every company deals with that topic. Every company has sales, every company has pricing. And a lot of companies, uh, many companies, many industries tend to have fairly lax pricing structure. Uh, the, the conflict that exists in there, and this is where kind of that empathetic lens that emerges in conjunction with the business lens can really properly contextualize the opportunity is salespeople a lot of times are compensated on revenue. So if you're going to do an increase, they're like, hey, 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 you're, you're putting my revenue at risk. I don't want to do that. If you can mitigate that risk by bringing facts to say, we believe that you can increase customer X, their price 10% on products A, B, and C, and here's why, you mitigate that risk in the mind of, of probably one of your key stakeholders. You're not going to impact his ability to co get compensated. Actually, you might serve as an accelerant for that compensation. And, and so it really bringing it back to kind of the original um, thesis here is that you can't do that if you don't understand the business. You can have the most brilliant technical skills in the world. You can be the best data engineer, machine learning, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's a human factor in all this stuff. And you can't get that human factor through the technical components. That's where, you know, anybody who's on my team, I emphasize the development of business skills just as much, if not more, than the technical skills. And I find that to be just, at least in my experience, exceedingly rare uh, for those in the analytic, analytics world. And the reason why I feel so passionately is because with that lens, you can quantify financial benefits. And I have found that most analytical uh, teams really, really struggle to get to that point. Previous teams were how big, Jason? Were they, just give us an order of magnitude in terms of how big your teams have been. Yeah, they were usually under 10. So the interesting thing is with teams that small, yeah, have people that can play multiple positions. But what I'm discussing, if you have a team of 1,000, well, you have the luxury of having 100 data engineers. You have the luxury of having, you know, uh, your machine learning team. But most organizations that are at least newer in this journey right. don't have that luxury. So they need those people that can play in multiple positions and play them effectively. Right. And, and you, can you can basically uh, pair up people with their strengths and also complement skills. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that really fascinated me when we first met is that you work on a category that I feel like in our industry, people struggle to get access to, and the, those are HVACs. And I, and I know that you've pulled in a lot of data sources to be able to really understand the segment. Give us a little bit of the some of the challenges in your, in your research of HVACs and how you went about doing, creating some powerful insights from, from the data sources you did have. Yeah, absolutely. So the HVAC industry has been around, I think, since the dinosaurs. It's, it's forever. Um, and there's certain components of that industry that I don't think have evolved much past that stage. Um, kind of like we were talking about before, 
Not that there's anything wrong with it, but there's a lot of orders getting faxed in. Um, you know, EDI in some places is in its infancy. In other industries, standard operating procedures. And so while there's nothing wrong with any of that, small things like that are, in my mind, indicative of the sophistication, digital and analytical sophistication of an industry as a whole. And there's unquestionably numerous players that are very advanced uh, in their applications and, and things along those lines. But as a, just as a whole, the industry I found tends to be lagging others in sophistication. So um, when I came into my, my last role, it was a real greenfield opportunity. Um, we were building from scratch this capability. So we had to you know, create the vision of, of what, what do we want to build here? What are we trying to build? What are we trying to accomplish? And again, that gets to the strategy and business components of it of, you know, what do we want to do? And I always start out by saying, if you could answer any five questions about your business, your market, channel, whatever it is, what questions would you ask? And virtually everything that we asked was market-centric. You know, um, the HVAC industry, a lot of it is install-based centric. These are longer life cycle products. You know, cast iron boiler can last 20, 25 years, many times much longer. An air conditioner will last 15 to 20 years. So it's really about install base um, because you know those those are just their cycles, their cycles that come. So the fundamental logic is if you know where things are installed, you know where building construction is happening, you know where distributors are located, you know gen the general density of contractors and distributors and activity, and you start to triangulate all these different things, you can paint a really robust market picture of, of what's going on, what trends are unfolding. And um, one of the big transitions that the HVAC industry as a whole is going through over the past decade was really the transition from legacy products that tended to be lower efficiency um, to higher efficiency products in newer technologies that traditionally um, weren't available. Like, I'll just give you an example. Um, you know, coming from the boiler side of the HVAC industry, um, heat pumps for a long time were kind of, you know, the New York area was... Not, it couldn't really be touched by anything except furnaces or boilers. Well, now heat pumps are, are very viable. So you kind of have like this protected market, but all of a sudden you have this threat, not only to you know, us as a manufacturer, but to the boiler industry as a whole. And so it's understanding, as I always say, I all the time in, in, in the old organization was, it's like the tsunami warning bells are going off 2,000 miles off the coast. They're there. The warning signs are there, or the, uh, the next steps in the market evolution are there. You just have to know how to read those tea leaves to understand what's coming down the pike. And a lot of times, there's a lot of things to tip you off to what's out there. It's just you have to know where to look, and that's really what we excelled at, was knowing where to find this information. Um, a lot of times, it's an unstructured data. So how do you, how do you just take this massive valuable information and extrapolate what really matters out of it. It really gives you those leading indicators as to what's going to happen in the market. I love it because I think a lot of times we are, as an industry, considered kind of reporting the news, like what has happened in the past versus, mm -hmm. you know, give me some signals, give me some idea of what's going to happen and help us anticipate that change, which is incredibly yeah. powerful. And, and you know, your, your approach is incredibly comprehensive. Give us an idea of just that one question that you had to answer in terms of, 
early warning signs. How long does a project like that take? And what's the appetite for management to be patient for the results? Yeah, so it, uh, I'll give an example. On, in the HVAC industry, one of the best leading ind- indicators that there are is the rebate pipeline. Okay. These are the these are the resources that you know an organization, or I'm sorry, an organization, a government entity will make available to change the economics, uh, and especially in the early phases of a technology, to make it more appealing, so that people buy on and it gets critical mass. Well, the thing that most people don't realize is that a lot of these rebate schedules are actually communicated two to three years in advance because you have to get funding for them. Right. So it's an example of, um, and this is what I always laugh about. This is like predictive analytics kind of, but your traditional machine learning, this is more of a market research, mm-hmm. political hybrid. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like not machine learning, but yeah, predictive analytics, market intelligence, and strategy kind of just baked into one, which I found is, is a pretty unique combination. But so um, it's really the idea that, you know, if you go and you read just as an example, some of the government documents, and you look at the, the funding structures for the future, you can observe, holy crap, New York's got $20 million planned for heat pumps in the next two years. And then when they announce that first release schedule, it, it validates that, hey, this is really happening. And now what is that you, a lot of times you can, you can get a two-year jump on what's going to happen there. Now, those rebates by no means guarantee that a specific technology um, will take off geothermal heat pumps as an example. They've had rebates on those for years, but the capital investment's so high. Um, I'm still aware, but there's other things that, again, you look at, um, and by understanding those, you understand where the competition in two to three years is going to be coming from. And it, and it makes it, it crystallizes it and makes it very clear. And then the question becomes, are you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to sit on that knowledge and say, oh, that's good to know? Right. But at least you're aware of it, right? It's better to make yes. a conscious decision about it versus being surprised about it. Absolutely. And and it sounds like kind of your own philosophical approach is to not be defined by any one data set. It's just looking at everything as data, basically. It's not it's not confined to any type of data. Absolutely. The kind of the structure uh, we use, and this is what makes it so fun, is we always, always, always start with, what are we trying to answer? What are we trying to do? And that's why we start with those five questions. And then we work backwards from there because if you ask that question first, what it does is you're, it is guaranteed then that you're working on something that has mind share. And when you have that, that's the single thing I've learned. That's the biggest thing I've learned in, in my years of doing this is that, and, and by doing that, then what we do is we, then we say, okay, to answer that question, what data would we need? And sometimes we have that data within our four walls or something mm-hmm. else. And then this is where it gets fun. Is then saying, okay, well, if we don't have it, where can what, we get it? Yep. What yep. kind of can we get it or what kind of proxy can we use? And that's yep. really where we start to get really creative around what data is out there uh, and, and what can we use. And, and, and that actually that thesis is actually one of the backbones of um, uh, strategy type platform playbook. It just works so well, but again, to, to, I'll emphasize it again. If you don't have that business lens, I believe you cannot ask those questions to say, what data would I need to answer this question effectively in the mind of an executive? 
Yep. That makes perfect sense. I, I also wanted to take a moment to congratulate you. I believe you got an award within the HVAC industry for business and data analytics, uh, the 40 under 40 award. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's uh, it's nice to be validated, right? I mean, you know, just to all the, the philosophy, the work and, and to be recognized, I think is, is amazing. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Let's talk about Strategy Titan. Tell me what it's about. What's your focus? Yeah, sure. Yes, Strategy Titan is a strategic management, data and analytics uh, consulting and advisory firm. And really we're helping companies drive top and bottom line growth using the power of data and analytics. And, and, you know, I focused on Strategy Titan because analytics, you know, analytics is just a tool in my mind. It is very, it is an incredibly powerful tool, but it is just a tool. And so really by being strategic, uh, being very, you know, um, focused on strategy is it, it puts us in a position to have better conversations around factors that impact top and bottom line growth, because that's really what we're here to do. That's what all of us in the analytics and data science space are really here to do is to help drive better business performance. Um, and then, so on the, that's on the services side. On the product side, we also have our own proprietary branded uh, market intelligence solutions. Um, we kind of have that central data repository, kind of we've talked about throughout here. We call that our business Titan product. It's billions of rows of data that we've collected and standardized um, on a number of different topics. Um, so basically, if you come to us with a question, it's, all right, we have three or four different things that could help answer that question. Let's look through them together. Um, we also have our economic and labor Titan product because um, through my research uh, efforts over the years, one of the glaring weaknesses I observed was just, you know, economic and labor data, it's out there, but it is pain to work with. It, it is incredibly cumbersome. Um, and what I thought was, you know, in interviewing business owners, a lot of them said, if I could get that information, I, I'd probably be interested in it. So, it's kind of what we've done is we're in a private beta now. We're wrapping up the private beta. We're going to be releasing it in, the, in hopefully the next month or two uh, for public purchase. Um, but those economic labor uh, products focus on uh, bringing clarity as to what's going on in your local market. What are the local drivers for your economy? Um, what's going on in your local labor market? And that's a really super hot topic, especially in the HVAC space where contractors uh, and, and others in the construction space have more work than they can possibly do because they cannot find qualified people to fill the roles. So when you talk about the economic indicators and the labor product, you answered one of my questions in terms of, you know, why, what's the type of information people would want to glean from the labor database, if you will. But what are some other, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about the economic indicators? Like what questions are people asking about that can be answered through some of the economic indicators uh, that you guys collect? Absolutely. So, so one of my personal favorites is like uh, consumer sentiment. Like, and just to give you, just to contextualize that, for let's use the HVAC discussion. We'll go along. As I highlighted to my my former company, is that is a very powerful, very 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 powerful um, indicator for the um, buy versus or, or uh, fix versus replace um, discussion for an HVAC unit. So I'll give you. If my sentiment levels are high and I feel good financially and my air conditioner breaks, the guy goes, well, I can fix it or I can buy a new one. 
if I'm feeling good, I'm going to buy a new one, which is great unit sales. But if consumer sentiment is low and my situation I don't perceive as being good either now or in the future, I'm going to go, you know what, just put a part, I'll, I'll fix it when things get better. And, and something as simple as that, by understanding what is the consumer sentiment, not only at the national level, but really getting down to those lower levels of, you know, the state of Illinois or what, um, that, that becomes very powerful information that, again, we can deliver to an HVAC professional, and then they can use that information in their selling process. If they're aware that things are really good, they might go, that, they might go to sell that unit with much more confidence. They know the market is primed for that. And so that's, you know, and using, let's just use my Chicagoland market as an example. If you know that a majority of people, this is a very um, finance, uh, finance manufacturing and utility heavy um, uh, microeconomy. So if you know that a majority of those job people that, that are doing those jobs are in, you know, uh, the city that you cover and you are very good for them. Again, it's context for you to understand sentiment within your local market, because a lot of the people that we're targeting, they're not going to be national guys. They're going to be local guys with, you know, 30, 40, 50 minute drive time radius. And if they can understand, you know, hey, 50% of my addressable market is in a higher income profile, and those people tend to do finance jobs, and they're feeling good about it, whatever it is, you know, stack kind of the, the understanding of what's going on in your local market. And so these are, these are pieces of information that we're stitching together, and really the value that we try to add here is throwing a lot of information at people is really easy. Anybody can do it. Really distilling it down to if I was a business owner, matter to me. What like give me four or five metrics at most? Because you know when we're looking at it, our our customer is going to be um, you know somebody who's not quite as maybe data literate or data comfortable with data as maybe you or I. So keep that in mind, and that less is more. That's that's our motto in developing this. Less is more. It's so true. It's like building a PowerPoint deck of hundreds and hundreds of slides is people think that's, that's hard. The, the hard part is distilling it down to three or four, right? Like what yep. are the key points that you really want to accentuate? Yep. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best in your new endeavors and obviously look forward to keeping in touch. How can people, by the way, learn more about Strategy Titan? Yeah, the best way, go to strategytitan.com. Also, we are also have our Twitter handle, strategy underscore Titan, uh, at strategy underscore Titan. Also, um, I encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn talking about a lot of these topics. And, and reach out to me. If you have questions, you want to talk, you want to grab a phone call, whatever it is, uh, I'm usually pretty, pretty responsive to those things, and I welcome those conversations. But, but thank you, too, for having me on. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time. Be bold, be brave, and be fearless.